0: You're listening to Uptown Radio. It's Thursday, April 21st. I'm Chantel Destra. And I'm
1: David Newtown. Today on the show, prices for Ubers and Lyft skyrocketed right after the subway attack. Should companies be allowed to profit from a crisis?
0: And President Biden recently vowed to crack down on untraceable ghost guns. But with the number of shootings rising quickly in New York City, is it enough? It is a beginning. It is by no means an end.
1: And it's not just humans using cannabis. What happens when pets discover pot?
2: I've got a retriever and she's a street licker. And I've known dogs that that have gotten sick. Plus, Taylor Swift's hottest show, an
0: NYU commencement address.
2: They're just fans of Taylor Swift and they are willing
0: to
3: pay for tickets.
1: All that and more on Uptown Radio. But first, the news.
4: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. Ukrainian authorities are warning that Russian assaults are intensifying and forces may try to seize Kharkiv, the country's second biggest city. Here is NPR's Ada Peralta.
3: The governor of the region says if Ukrainians let their guard down, the Russians could try to take Kharkiv. The military says it is trying to keep the Russians out of the city by making a stand in the outskirts. As we drove into Mala Rohan in the western side of Kharkiv, we heard a raging battle. Natalia Bliznuk, a resident, says her house and many others are in ruins.
5: The, the roof is broken, the windows are broken, they have spent a lot of time in the basement.
3: All she wants, she says, is peace. Pralta in PR News, Mala in northeastern Ukraine.
4: The U.S. Supreme Court siding with Congress in denying federal benefits to low-income elderly and disabled people in Puerto Rico, even though its residents are U.S. citizens. The court's sole dissenter, whose parents were born in Puerto Rico, questioned Congress's rationale, countering the majority's decision, amplifying a long-standing debate over the rights of Puerto Ricans, whether they live on the mainland or the island. We have more from NPR's Deepa Shivaram.
5: At issue was whether Congress's exclusion of Puerto Rico from the income support program violated the Constitution's Equal Protection Law. A lower court ruled that it did, but the U.S. Supreme Court disagreed. Justice Sonia Sotomayor was the lone dissenter. An estimated 300,000 people on the island would have been eligible for the benefit at a cost of around $2 billion a year. In response to the ruling, Puerto Rico's governor says statehood for the island is the only solution. Deepa Shivaram, NPR News. The Biden administration's appealing a court decision to
4: strike down the federal mask mandate for public transportation. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention extended the requirement to May 3rd. The CDC said it needed time to study how the spread of a coronavirus subvariant was affecting COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths nationwide. But a federal judge in Florida ruled Monday the CDC overstepped its authority. With that, masks immediately started coming off on planes, trains, and buses. Separately, the administration is still weighing whether to extend Title 42, a pandemic-related expulsion policy that prevented migrants from entering the U.S. to seek asylum. Here's President Biden. As a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where, if in fact it is strongly
6: concluded by the SCIENTISTS THAT WE NEED TITLE 42, THAT WE'D BE ABLE TO DO THAT, BUT THERE HAS BEEN NO DECISION ON EXTENDING TITLE 42.
4: TITLE 42 ENACTED DURING THE TRUMP ADMINISTRATION AT THE HEIGHT OF THE PANDEMIC IS DUE TO EXPIRE LATE NEXT MONTH. THE DOW JONES INDUSTRIAL AVERAGE CLOSES DOWN 368 POINTS OR MORE THAN 1 PERCENT, ENDING AT 34,792. THIS IS NPR NEWS.
5: From Columbia Radio News, I'm Linnea Arden. Shouts of joy at a New Jersey dispensary today as legal marijuana sales kicked off this morning. a New Jersey, to get to celebrate the end of Prohibition today. 13 authorized dispensaries started selling to customers over the age of 21. New Jersey is part of a trend of East Coast states legalizing marijuana for more than medical use lately, and the 19 states do so in the country. New York City began receiving the first payments in its slice of a $1.5 billion settlement today following litigation against Big Pharma's role in the opioid crisis. At a press conference, Attorney General Letitia James said the funds would have an immediate impact on the community. Mayor Er Mayor Eric Adams said the city's overdose epidemic kills a New Yorker every four hours. The funds from the settlement will go towards treatment, prevention, and education. Ahead of Earth Day tomorrow, some of New York's top elected officials were at the Empire State Building this morning, touting it as a model for how older buildings can go green. Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams joined with former President Bill Clinton to promote a new online tool that they say will make it easier for commercial buildings to use less energy. Clinton says,
7: We would end a lot of the political divides because how can you be against doing more with less? How can you be against creating jobs for innovative companies?
5: If the buildings follow the playbook in the coming years, the city projects an economic impact of $20 billion and 100,000 jobs. The so-called Empire Playbook allows for New York City structures to mimic some of what the Empire State Building has done. The 91-year-old icon even has its elevators generate electricity as they go up and down. Columbia Radio.
0: This is Uptown Radio. I'm Chantel Destra. And I'm David Newtown.
1: Last week, when a gunman opened fire on a crowded end train, the subway system was impacted throughout the city, with long delays and two lines shut down.
0: Some commuters wondered if it was safe to ride the trains or whether it was time to look for other ways to get to work. And costs of ride shares like Uber and Lyft suddenly became even more expensive. Sarah Yokobaitis has more.
8: Subway ridership in New York City plummeted during the pandemic. In recent weeks, New Yorkers have increasingly returned to the trains for their daily commutes.
4: But then last week... We are following breaking news in Brooklyn. Very distressing. Chaos and bloodshed during the morning. Mass shooting in the subway.
8: Last Tuesday, Devin Asperger was on an R train for his regular commute from Sunset Park to the Bronx. When the train pulled into the 36th Street station, he got a clear view of the aftermath of the shooting right across the platform
9: when panicking and being like oh there was a shooting there might be a shooter on this train right now and actually it turned out he was he was there um and everyone flooding out and pushing each other in the tiny little you know um train platform that was scary
8: that night asperger went to visit a friend he felt skittish about getting on the subway so he ordered a car from lyft
9: you know what? For for one time going back, and they still hadn't caught the dude too. So I was like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna take a lift for now for just just for tonight.
8: But the next day, Asperger still had to get to work. And he says the subway was the only affordable option.
9: I teach up in the Bronx a lot, and I'm coming from Brooklyn. Um, and the feasibility of me taking a car to the Bronx. It's one, way more expensive and two, not as fast.
8: Catherine O'Connor lives on the Upper East Side and usually takes the subway to her marketing job in Midtown. The day of the shooting, she took the bus home and hasn't gone back underground since.
6: I've like avoided doing certain things just so I don't have to take the subway since it's happened.
8: To get home that day, she also considered a ride share, but discovered that prices were dramatically higher than usual. Uber and Lyft operate using an algorithm that adjusts prices in response to demand, as well as other factors like location and driver availability. It's called surge pricing, and O'Connor says she doesn't think rideshare companies should profit from an emergency.
6: I was at the office and I put in my apartment address and the fare was like $44 and it was like, 2, p- 2 3 p.m. When I looked it up, and the fare should have been closer to like 15 or 20.
7: They're obviously not set up to deal with emergencies now, they could probably do a better job of that.
8: Don Heider is the executive director of the Markless Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. He says that rideshare companies could do a better job of responding to emergency situations using available tools like artificial intelligence or AI
7: course, all the surge is based on is demand. And of course, when there's an emergency of some kind, um, demand is going to skyrocket, right? What they could do is have a AI sort tr- of triggered uh, warning system that let them know. In this particular case, I don't think they did anything particularly unethical, but I do think they probably could have responded quicker
8: Last week, Uber and Lyft both announced that they would refund users for the additional costs of surge pricing on the day of the shooting. Sarah Yokobaitis, Columbia Radio News.
1: On the day of the subway shooting, much of the news concentrated on the attacks. So you may have missed another event that shaped our next story.
0: Former Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin has resigned. Two weeks ago, he was charged with bribery and fraud for illegally funneling thousands of dollars in state funds to his previous campaigns. Jake O'Donnell is a political analyst who's worked on the administrations of many high-profile politicians, from Senators Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton to President Bill Clinton. I asked him how the charges Brian Benjamin is facing will impact New York.
10: Well, I think the the impact on average, um, everyday New Yorkers is, is already felt, right? Whether he's found guilty or not, the U.S. attorney found enough um, enough reason to believe um that he was you know he was guilty to bring these charges um and I think um the other impact is on Governor Hochul um you know she selected him that was one of her first big um tests in office and um you know now she's got to kind of wear that as she r- introduces herself to New Yorkers and and runs for election,
0: and how much would you say that everyday New Yorker will be paying attention to this um, trial as it unfolds. As we saw recently, Kathy Hochul, when she was lieutenant governor, no one really knew who she was um, until the whole Cuomo scandal. So how much is that going to impact this situation? Well,
10: I I think a lot of New Yorkers would have been hard-pressed before or after this uh, to name the lieutenant governor. I think that the arrest um, and resignation oftentimes is a lot more sensational than the trial. Um, You know, in federal court, a trial like this could be a couple years away and then it could drag on for months. Um, By the time the trial comes, um, people tend to not pay as much uh, attention to it. But at the end of the day, you know, this is a high ranking um, uh, elected official in New York. And so I'm sure the press um, and some of us in the public will be paying attention.
0: And thinking back before the Cuomo scandal, how often has it been that New York State um, has been involved in scandals to this magnitude before?
10: Well, boy, we've had quite a run uh, recently. Um, I, I think uh, I think if you start with uh, Elliot Spitzer and uh, the the prostitution scandal um, around his resignation, I mean that was national, international news. You know, um, from then on, we had kind of a a pretty bad run. Um, Several members of the the state senate, the state senate majority leader, um, Pedro Espada, Malcolm Smith, um, they all went to prison. Um, And then we had Shelley Silver, the the, um, speaker of the assembly who had been there was closing in on a record for the longest tenured speaker in New York state history um, before he went down. So I think uh, in terms of scandal, um, New York's had a really bad uh, 20 years.
0: And how does New York compare to other states in terms of scandal?
10: New York is, is really up there with with some of the worst uh, scandals and the worst records. It's It's something that Um, I think voters need to ask some questions about elected officials, about what what are we doing about that and, and what are we demanding?
0: Jack O'Donnell, political analyst with O'Donnell and Associates. Thank you for being here today.
10: Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: It only took 30 days for New York to become the biggest sports betting state in the country since it was legalized in January. Now lawmakers are considering putting sports betting rights in the stadium. Mark Gilchrist reports.
3: That means bettors could soon see betting lounges or kiosks in places like Madison Square Garden, Yankee Stadium, and the Buffalo Bill Stadium. The Mets have already announced a partnership with Caesars to place a betting lounge in Citi Field. It's a bet the bill will pass. Caesars is one of nine companies licensed to offer mobile sports betting in New York. If the kiosk bill passes, stadiums would have to partner with one of these companies to build physical gambling spaces. Esther Fuchs is a professor of political science and public policy at Columbia University. She says the early success of online sports betting made lawmakers and stadium owners want to chase even more money and profit.
11: I think
6: once the state started allowing uh, betting, for sports and uh, other kinds of events that it was
11: only a matter of time before the sporting arenas themselves wanted to get
12: part of the action here.
3: At a Rangers game this week, some fans said they would like to have a physical space to gamble. This is Vinny Rondazzo.
12: You might try it if there was a kiosk. I just don't want to
9: have it on my phone because I don't want to be able to do it on the toilet, you know?
3: The New York Senate's Racing, Gaming, and Wagering Committee approved the bill in February. It now sits in the Finance Committee. Mark Gilchrist, Columbia Radio News.
1: Today, advocates, city council members, and community leaders gathered at City Hall asking the mayor to spend over $3 billion. They're hoping for big changes to the city's bike lanes, buses, and car traffic. Clara Sophia Daly went to talk with them.
2: Last year, 14 delivery workers died while delivering goods in New York. Both council members and advocates today emphasize the importance of protected bike lanes in ensuring the safety of the over 65,000 delivery workers in New York City. I have
0: seen death
6: after death after death to no avail. So I stand here in support demand that our city do better by us, that we fully invest in the streets plan, that we make sure and lean into doing things differently because what we've done before hasn't worked. We see the data. It's horrific.
2: Department of Transportation Commissioner Danis Rodriguez agreed that increased bike lane infrastructure improves safety. But he says that the deaths of delivery workers and bikers are also a result of drunk and reckless drivers. He said although more funding could be helpful, he thinks the Department of Transportation already has the resources necessary to build better infrastructure while recognizing budget concerns.
12: Well, we need to be fiscal responsible and we know that it, we have a lot of constraint when it comes to the budget. We don't have limited resources. We will continue getting the financial support from Mayor Eric Adams for us to redesign our street.
2: But the council members at the rally today demand that the mayor invest $3.1 billion in the 2023 budget to make sure the streets plan and its investments can happen. Crystal Hudson is a council member for the 35th District in Brooklyn. She says the plan is needed to bring efficient bus and bike routes to neighborhoods with less access to reliable transportation.
11: It actually addresses the transportation deserts that we have in so many black and brown communities um, and makes sure, you know, that people can have the same type of access to transit that those living in Manhattan or more transit-dense
4: or rich areas have access to.
2: Ten-year-old Grayson Price brought his wiggle board to the protest. And after the rally, Councilmember Chi Ose borrowed the skateboard and cruised around in front of City Hall. Price says the key to effective transportation in the city is diversity.
6: If the whole city is just run by cars, then there's not, it's just like one type of culture and we have to have biking, walking, skateboarding, that wiggle board thing, and, and cars, but like, can't have just cars.
2: Southeast Bronx City Council Member Amanda Farias said that her community is full of working families and immigrants who rely mostly on buses. For her, transportation is also a matter of racial and economic justice in an area where transportation needs have been ignored.
5: How do we bring in e-scooters and city bike into those communities? How do we bring in protective infrastructures and open street plans so people can see that there are other means and other ways to actually
2: move? Grayson Price voiced today probably the most far-reaching transit scheme for the city. And it would be like just cars like floating around like in one of those futuristic movies,
6: biking everywhere... People can fly, so you don't really need cars anymore. People would sell their cars, and, you know, it'd be something that would probably never happen, but I wonder if it could.
2: Clara Sophia Daly, Columbia Radio News.
1: And we'll have more to come on Earth Day later on in the show.
0: You're listening to Uptown Radio. There's more to come. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to Uptown Radio. I'm David Newtown.
0: And I'm Chantel Destra. Still to come on the show, a look at how Biden's plan to tackle gun violence might impact New York. Plus, a
1: conversation about Earth Day and how New York's mayor is handling climate change in the city. And a cautionary tale about dogs getting high. But first, a look at national headlines.
6: From Columbia Radio News in New York, I'm Emily Schutz. Russia test-launched an intercontinental miss- missile yesterday, which Russian President Vladimir Putin claims is capable of carrying nuclear weapons. The Pentagon said today in a statement that they did not consider the missile a serious threat. Also today, President Joe Biden announced an additional $800 million package in military assistance to Ukraine. And also, a ban on all Russian-affiliated ships from U.S. ports. The Biden administration says they have extensively reviewed last year's traffic of Russian vessels off the coasts to determine whether this would drastically impact U.S. supply chains. This is the latest in U.S. sanctions against Russia since their initial invasion of Ukraine. Floods in South Africa this week have left over 4,000 homes destroyed and nearly 500 people dead. Record storms in the southeast of the country dropped close to four typical months of rain in just 24 hours. South Africans are sifting through the damage and preparing for more rainfall this weekend. The Justice Department has filed an appeal on the recent ruling ending mask mandates on public transit. The mandate was overturned Tuesday in a decision by the U.S. District Court Judge in Florida. In the appeal, the Justice Department cites a CDC statement that the mask mandate remains necessary for public health. Elon Musk says he's gathered 46.5 billion dollars in an attempt to buy Twitter. This comes after his previous offer to buy the social network for 54.2 cent, 20 cents, sorry, a share totaling 43 billion dollars last week. Last Friday, Twitter implemented a temporary shareholder rights plan to prevent a hostile takeover. Recording artist and New York native ASAP Rocky was arrested this morning in connection to a non-fatal shooting that took place last November in Hollywood. ASAP Rocky, whose real name is Rakeem Mayers, was apprehended at LAX Airport. He was later released on bail and is scheduled to appear in court in August. Stocks were down today. The Dow dropped 368 points to close at 34,792. This is Emily Schutz, Columbia Radio News.
1: In New York, gun violence has been an issue for years and lately trending up. Two weeks ago, President Biden announced a plan to crack down on ghost guns as part of a larger proposal to Congress. Chantel Destra asks how plans from the White House will affect New Yorkers. And a note about content. This story will contain some descriptions
0: of violence. Late last year, -year 16-year-old Kyla Sobers Baddies was making TikTok videos after school with friends in a Brooklyn park. Out of nowhere, three men opened fire into the park. Sobers was shot in the head. Her mother, Nadine Sobers, says she was in disbelief when she learned the news. I couldn't speak. All I could do basically was scream and... I'm not that an emotional person, <laughs> I've never really been that much of emotional, but that situation really kind of, you know, it, it puts you in a, in a different time and space. Sober says it was difficult for her to see her daughter lying in a hospital bed. She had no hair and her head was swollen to like three times as normal size and she had gauze on the top of her head from where they had to go in and cut into her head and I I froze. Since the shooting, Sober's Baddies has had a long road to recovery. She has trouble remembering things and had to relearn how to walk. But that incident is only one of 2,000 shootings in the city last year. It's unclear what kind of gun was used in the shooting, but the NYPD has been paying very close attention to ghost guns recently. They're untraceable and unregulated guns. They're often sold in parts online and assembled at home, which makes them very accessible to criminals and minors who aren't allowed to buy guns. Part of President Biden's new plan is ensuring all ghost guns have a serial number. Robert Spitzer is a professor specializing in politics and guns at SUNY. Spitzer says Biden's plan is the right
7: step what's significant about ghost guns is that in the last three or four years, their appearance cr- in crimes has increased dramatically, very significantly.
0: The NYPD says they've recovered over 130 ghost guns since January. Spitzer says last year, tens of thousands of ghost guns were used in
7: crimes. And the key point is that even though it's not a major problem as a percentage of all guns in crime, guns used in crime right now, it will be.
0: Deanna Logan is director of the Mayor's Office of Criminal Justice. She agrees that President Biden's plans are a good start to addressing gun violence. When we're thinking about gun violence and actually just the proliferation of guns, that is a key tool in being able to stop that proliferation. But she says more is needed, like stopping the flow of guns coming in from states with looser gun laws. The White House says they plan to tackle this as well. Biden's ghost guns plan is one of the many items on the legislative agenda. Congress still has a stalled Build Back Better plan, voting rights in Ukraine to grapple with. It's unlikely that Congress will have enough time to get the ghost guns plans passed in the next couple of months before the end of this legislative session. Chantal Destra, Columbia Radio News. Starting today, it's legal to sell recreational cannabis in New Jersey. And New York is expected to follow suit later this year.
1: Some New Yorkers are welcoming the move, but veterinarians know what happens when pot gets into the wrong paws. David
12: Marquez reports. (coughs) Louis the Miniature Poodle is normally an energetic dog. He's got wavy cream-colored fur and little button eyes. He jumps up and down when he sees you. But a few weeks ago, Louis's owner, Amy Singer, got a text from her dog sitter that the poodle wasn't acting quite right.
5: And then I went to pick him up at daycare around, uh, it was just a little after 10. And she carried him out and he was just like a rag. He wasn't moving, he was really heavy, clearly something was wrong.
12: Singer, who works at Columbia, worried that it was something Louis ate off the street.
5: You know, there's like rat poison out here, there's all sorts of stuff. And he he's like a little hoover, he'll eat anything.
12: So she brought Louis straight to the vet's office, where he got an unexpected diagnosis.
5: The vet called, and she said that they thought that he ate a a pot gummy.
12: Inedible, perhaps off the sidewalk. Oftentimes, gummies are in the same shape and packaging as dog treats. And apparently, this is a common problem. In states like California and Colorado, rates of accidental cannabis poisoning in dogs rose dramatically after legalization. The symptoms can vary in dogs. In general, they're similar to the high of a human stoner. They might flop down on the floor and lie around, their pupils might dilate, or they might get anxious. And uniquely for dogs, dribbling urine is a telltale sign. But Dr. Matt Miller from Gotham Veterinary Center on the Upper West Side says that the symptoms can also be the opposite.
10: Where rather than being really low energy, there's hyperactivity that's been seen and increased body temperature, increased heart rate, um, and even seizures.
12: In rare cases, it might warrant emergency medical care. But Miller says that for the most part, weed on its own doesn't make dogs critically ill.
10: THC itself has a very high uh, lethal dose. Some people don't even think it's possible for a dog to die with THC alone. Just your average 12-pound Shih Tzu would need to eat um, hundreds of an average joint.
12: Since cannabis ingestion usually isn't deadly, emergency veterinarians focus on alleviating discomfort. Dogs might get IV fluids to treat dehydration, or medicine to relieve nausea. But dog owners, especially in Riverside Park next to a university campus, say they're being more vigilant about what might have been accidentally dropped on the ground. Is that something you're concerned about or not Not really?
2: Yes, I'm, I am, because I've got a retriever and she's a street licker, and I've known dogs that are, that but have gotten sorry, sick. I'm concerned about it only
5: because my dog will eat anything that is near her mouth. I think it scares the owner very much. You know, their dog's just kind of lying around and blissed out and wanting Cheetos.
12: Others weren't too nervous.
5: I have some concerns about the impact of cannabis legalization, but not regarding the dogs.
12: As for Louie, he spent the night at the vet's, and by the next day, Amy Singer says he was back to his usual self. He sure seemed like it when I saw him a few days later. He was hopping up and down on his hind legs, and he eagerly gobbled up some non-psychoactive treats out of my hand. David Marquez, Columbia Radio News.
1: New York City Mayor Eric Adams was not vocal about climate change issues during his campaign. But in late January, he created a climate task force to address climate change in New York City. With Earth Day on Friday, we thought it was a good time to give Mayor Adams a report card. I have here Dr. Stephen Cohen, former executive director of the Earth Institute at Columbia. Thank you for joining me.
7: Thanks for having me, David.
1: So to start off, what report card would you give for Mayor Adams?
7: Well, I'd say the class has just begun, so I'm not sure I want to grade him yet. He's only been in for 100 days, but uh, his team wasn't appointed till the first week of February. We just lived through eight years of a mayor who did nothing but talk, and so uh, I'd like to give his new team some time to actually do something.
1: Let's talk about Mayor Adams' key commitments to climate sustainability. Uh, The first one is installing 100 megawatts of solar on schools, libraries, community centers, and other public buildings. What does that look like uh, for New Yorkers, and how is that a good idea for a regular New Yorker on the street?
7: Well, it starts with uh, the city has control of 4,000 buildings. And so one of the things that the city can do, and it's the same thing the federal government is doing, is using their own purchasing power to uh, influence uh, the market in the city. One of the problems with rooftop solar in a city like New York is that we have to be careful about making sure that firefighters still have access to the buildings. And so we have to be very careful about where we put those uh, solar arrays. But there has been a lot of discussion over the last few years, and now we have an approach to it. But I think this is a good start. You set an example and you put it in your own buildings.
1: The second point was on expanding resiliency projects and infrastructure in New York City. Uh, First off, could you explain what resiliency projects are?
7: We already have baked into the atmosphere uh, enough carbon dioxide and other global warming gases that the, we have a, warming, a warmer planet, and so that means we're going to have extreme weather events and we have to be more resilient or stronger to resist those impacts. And the city has done quite a few things after Hurricane Sandy to get ready for at least the problems that we saw along the waterfront. Uh, the problem is that uh, it's not just the waterfront. So we're going to have to actually invest a lot more than we thought uh, to protect ourselves from extreme weather events.
1: The next point that Mayor Adams put forth was about breaking ground on a massive clean energy complex at Wards Island Water Resource Recovery Facility. Um, In addition, Eric Adams also put into place a plan to turn the city into a wind energy hub. How do you feel about these ideas of making New York City a center for clean energy in the US or even in the world.
7: Well, I think New York City can make a contribution. I also think that uh, the uh, Long Island uh, area, the South Shore of Long Island in particular, uh, is ripe for wind development. And in fact, there's, there, there are plans in place. So the city shouldn't be divorced from the state here. Uh, New York State uh, is doing quite a lot and the city should be part of what's going on.
1: The relationship between de Blasio and Cuomo was rather fraught. Uh, Are there signs that Adams and Hochul are working together better in terms of climate ideas?
7: Yeah, fortunately, Adams is an adult, and Hochul is an adult, and we had two schoolyard uh, guys duking it out over God knows what, Uh, and the city suffered and the state suffered. It was really idiotic. We've already seen Adams and Hochul working together, having joined press conferences and cooperating with each other, and frankly, New York City as large and powerful as it is Uh, in terms of formal jurisdiction, is a creature of the state. It's very important that the mayor and the governor work together, and I think we're in a much better place right now.
1: Dr. Stephen Cohen, former executive director of the Earth Institute at Columbia, thank you for being here today.
7: Thanks for having me, David.
1: This is Uptown Radio. I'm David Newtown.
0: And I'm Chantal Dasha. Universities love famous commencement speakers. Howard University is particularly good at getting them. The year Black Panther came out, the school got Chadwick Boseman.
4: I
1: love you, Howard. Howard forever. Another year, graduating students heard from Barack Obama while he was still president.
4: Congratulations, class of 2016. Good luck. God bless you.
0: This year, New York University has scored another major celebrity as commencement speaker.
1: That's right. NYU's class of 2022 will hear from Taylor Swift. Some students are totally thrilled. But as Lucy Grinden finds, others are worried that Swift's fame may throw a wrench in their graduation plans.
11: Last month, Jocelyn Molina was still on the fence about whether she was even going to graduation. She works with the New York City Fire Department, and the ceremony is on a Wednesday, May 18th, which means missing a workday. But when Melina heard that Taylor Swift was going to be the speaker. I was going to go. It was
6: pretty automatic at that point that I was going to go.
11: Melina booked her ticket the day she heard. She also reserved two more tickets. Her parents will be going to a smaller ceremony for just her program. So she gave one graduation ticket to her partner. She's giving the other to a friend, not necessarily her best friend, but but the one she knew would appreciate the ticket the most. She
6: wasn't the first person that like, I would invite to my commencement, but because Taylor Swift was the
11: speaker, I did invite her. Meet Brissette Ortado, 28, graphic designer and Taylor Swift fan. I find Taylor to be a very personal thing. What's your um, favorite song of hers? Can you pick one? No, that's illegal. Um... <laughs> Mostly, she's just excited to see Taylor Swift in person. I haven't seen her in like a couple years, and I would like to. <laughs> But for some students, fans are causing a problem. Since so many students took off time during the pandemic, the class of 2022 is NYU's largest ever. In an email sent to students, the university said it has 19,000 graduates. And each grad can only invite two guests. If they want a third ticket, they have to enter a lottery. Any unclaimed tickets go back into that lottery, but fewer tickets are going unclaimed this year, in part because of Taylor Swift. I get two tickets. So it's really hard. Karen Melania is an international student. Her parents live here in the U.S., but she also has two cousins and a childhood friend flying in from Kenya to celebrate her graduation. With just two tickets for all those people, she has an impossible choice on her hands.
0: I was having this discussion with my sister and I told her that I was going to just take the people who would be coming from Kenya because they would want to have this experience. She gave me this cool look and <laughs> went like, so what are they supposed to do? Just sit in the house like they don't matter. Don't they matter?
11: Now, Melania's thinking she might not even attend because choosing among her family members is just too stressful. Complicating things even more, NYU student news website, The Click, recently reported that Taylor Swift fans, known as Swifties, are offering to pay hundreds of dollars for graduation tickets online.
0: They do not attend NYU. <laughs> like. They're just fans of Taylor Swift, and they are willing to pay for tickets. NYU
11: strictly prohibits selling graduation tickets, but it's easy for students to advertise anonymously online. Once they've sold a ticket, all students need to do is enter the name and email address of the buyer on the graduation ticket website, and they can always claim the buyers are just their friends. NYU did not respond to multiple requests for comment about what they're doing to try to prevent students from selling tickets. So how does a school handle a big commencement speaker? Howard didn't get back to me about how it handled Obama and Chadwick Boseman. Brown, which has hosted Hamilton star David Diggs and actor John Krasinski, said they couldn't help either. Of course, schools' efforts to get celebrities may not even matter to some students. In Washington Square Park on a recent afternoon, NYU senior Asada Spears says that, personally, she couldn't care less that Taylor Swift is the speaker.
6: She's a great performer, but I wouldn't think of her as someone to come and speak at one of the best universities in the country. And she's also not singing, so I don't know why it's such a big deal.
11: Spears entered the lottery, though, hoping to get an extra ticket for a sibling. Lucy Grindon, Columbia Radio News.
0: Well, that does it for this edition of Uptown Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show.
1: Steering the ship today was executive producer Clara Grunett. Leading our staff of reporters was senior producer Rebecca Robinson.
0: Director Dave Marquez led our studio production with Mark Gilchrist and Elliot Schiaparelli.
1: Our web editor Lucy Grindon got this stream live to the web. Linnea Arden and Emily Schutz produced the news. Senior editor Julian Abraham and assistant editor Sarah Yocobitis led our copy team.
0: Our instructors Sally Herships, Ben Shapiro, and Robert Smith advised our staff. Special thanks to our guest editor today, Dan Bobkoff. I'm Chantal Destra.
1: And I'm David Newtown. Uptown Radio is live on Thursdays at 4. Until next time, you can always find us on UptownRadio.org. From all of us here at Uptown Radio, thanks for listening.
7: Well,
0: I, I don't have no dislike about being a dormant. Everything that I like about being a dormant because I'm a people person. I enjoy talking with people. I enjoy, you know, acting with people, interact with them. So that give me, because of the person I am, that makes me feel good doing this.
8: Leo Singer-Leopold, Upper West Side doorman for over 20 years.
0: Well, we had a few tendencies that was very rude, you know, but with me, I don't take that seriously. Even No matter how rude you are, I would still talk to you and explain to you that, you know, whatever is happening is not our fault. We are here to help you and the best way we can.
11: You're listening to Uptown Radio from Columbia Radio News, Thursdays at four.